Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and get your Bibles open to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 is going to be the passage we're going to be in this morning, and I am super pumped about being here and opening up this passage. Um, how many of you guys know what's coming in this passage? Say amen. Okay, well, you've got to be, it's be a treat for those of you who don't. It's going to be awesome. And uh, how many of you guys are coming off of the turkey uh, feast that, from Thanksgiving? Anybody coming off of that? Kind of feel like you need to start an exercise program maybe soon? Um, well, that was another sermon for another day. So, um, but this is going to be great. I'm excited about it. And I hope you guys are still hungry, but hungry for the word. Amen. Let's do this. Um, all right, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath a chair next to you. And if you find that Bible, go ahead and open it up to, I think, page 982. That's going to be the, the, uh, the page number we're going to be at. So the title of this sermon is called Stand Firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, and I'm getting it from this particular passage of Scripture. And uh, he, this is the Apostle Paul is writing a letter uh, to the Philippians, um, the people who are living in Philippi, and we're kind of coming up to the end of the letter now. And last week, uh, Pastor Brock kind of took us to the end of chapter 3 and explained to us that we are heaven-bound citizens of heaven. Somebody say amen to that. That's what I'm talking about, man. I love that. By the way, if you did not know this, you're going to help me preach this sermon. Um, you're going to engage in it. You're going to help me say amen. You're going to you know, participate. It's all about participation. We're not giving out any participation awards or anything. Um, but that's another, another sermon as well. All right. We're going to go ahead and get started. Verse number one of Philippians chapter four. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. I'm liking it so far. All right. Here we go. Verse number one says this. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what's the word? Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will, will be with you. And the church said, Amen. Okay. Well, as you can tell, there's a lot here. This is a very dense but rich passage of Scripture um, for all of us in here. So I'm encouraged about what we're going to be talking about. But I know that we're not going to be able to understand what is written in this particular chapter unless we have the Lord's help. So as we started the service off in prayer, I want to pray as we dive into the Word and ask God to illuminate our hearts and help it to sink deep into our hearts and our lives as we, as we dig into this passage. Let's pray together. Join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much. I know that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, is the only way we're going to have our hearts gripped by the truth in this, in this passage. God, you wrote this thousands of years ago, but the power and the truth has such incredible relevance to us today. Your word is alive. 
So I pray that you would compel us, God, to experience deeper levels of relationship with you, deepen our love for you because of what we talk about this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we unpack the scripture that you will convict us of areas where we have drifted from you. God, draw us back to you, I pray, and do a great work. Walk up and down the aisles of this building, Lord, and I pray that you would do a mighty work of transformation in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So as you can tell, verse number one, Paul gets right after it. He's not wasting any time. And I want you to see this. He says, therefore, my brothers, because you are heaven bound, um, you're going to heaven when you die. This is not our home. You believed in Christ. He's your savior, Lord of your life. You don't belong here. So because of those things, because of that reality, you right now in this life must stand firm in the Lord. And so from the, in verses 2 through 9, what Apostle Paul does is he begins to unpack for us what it means to stand firm in the Lord. And sometimes if you're, I don't know if anybody's like me, but I tend to overcomplicate things. My wife tells me that over, all the time. Uh, whether I'm driving in the car or whatever, doing directions, I always overcomplicate things. So what, Paul, what I want to do this morning is I want to simplify it, just do exactly what Apostle Paul is saying here. It's very simple, and I want you to use your imagination with me, Okay. How many of you guys have vivid imaginations? Anybody got like vivid? Awesome. Okay. You're going you're gonna to be a catalyst to this sermon. Here's what's going to happen. Let's say this, this, I have a cardboard box on stage. I don't know if everybody can see this, but this cardboard box, let's say that this represents the full measure of Christ's love for you. Like if you can contain all of the immense, infinite love that Jesus has for you, it's in this box, okay? I know it's ridiculous, all right? But just hang with me, all right? So it's in a box. So here's what happens when we meet Christ, before we meet Christ. We're wandering, I'm doing our own, minding our own business. We're all pursuing our own joy, our own peace. We're trying so hard to, to climb the ladder and, and find some sense of meaning for our lives. And then someday, one day in the past, some friend of ours, brought us and introduced us to this relationship, this all-surpassing love that is found really and exclusively in Christ alone. And he begins to explain that, that Jesus loves you. He values you. He wants you. He's just come, come into this relationship with Jesus. Experience this. And then somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we were drawn in to want to experience this amazing love. And the moment you stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you were wowed by the incredible love that God has for you. This immeasurable uh, strength and joy. How many of you guys experienced joy when you got saved? Say amen. All right. So it's very real. What's happening in this box, okay, um, for the sake of illustration, in this relationship with the Lord it's hard to articulate, and it's hard to put into words. However, over time, if we're not careful, while we're in this life, it's very easy for us to drift from the full measure of Jesus' love for us. Notice, I'm not saying drift from our salvation. You're saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved, amen? But what happens is sometimes we'll, uh, we convince ourselves that maybe doing it this way is a little bit better than what God says, and we drift from the full measure of God's love and joy and peace. And that's what that Paul's addressing here in this letter. He says, while you're still waiting for heaven, understand you need to stand firm in the very thing that you fell in love with at the beginning, the very thing that drew you to Christ. 
the immeasurable love that he has for you. Stay put here. Remain here. And so what Paul does next is he begins to unpack for us four things that you need to know, that you need to understand how to stand firm in the Lord. So what, what does this look like in real life? Obviously, I'm not going to be standing in a box for, you know, until I die. I mean, what's that mean? What does it mean to stand firm in my relationship with the Lord? First thing he says is this. In order for you to stand firm in the Lord, you're going to have to resolve conflict. Mm, that's going to be hard. All right. How many of you guys um, just do you not, how many guys do not like conflict? Raise your hand. Just don't like, that's almost everybody. If you like conflict, that's another issue. So, um, that's a whole other issue. So what I want to show you is this. He's very clearly addressing, he says, he brings up two women in the church. These are very, this is a very special church to Paul. But he's trying to explain, while you're here, we're not in heaven yet, but while you're here, you're going to have to resolve conflict because you're going to have issues that rise up in the church. Personality problems, preferences are going to kind of bubble up to the surface. And when that happens and conflict arises, you need to learn to agree in the Lord. If we're going to stand firm, we got to, we got to agree in the Lord. So here's what he says, verse number two. Um, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche, these two women, to agree in the Lord. Very clear. But notice that phrase, in the Lord. That's going back to, hey, this is what it's about. When you became a believer, you experienced the full measure of Christ's love. Stay here. But what happens is, when we have disagreements and, and conflict, we'll drift. Now, this is, you can almost hear the arguments, and this is so true. In any church history, some of you guys who've grown up in church for a long time know this to be real. Um, those of us who did not grow up in church at all, we'll see this in our, as long as we're in this life, okay? People are going to have issues with each other. Personalities. How many of you guys know there's weird people in the world? All right. <laughs> Just weird people. All right. It's okay. It's okay. God made everybody. You know, it's true. He did. How many of you guys have weird family members you just saw at Thanksgiving? Okay. Maybe don't raise your hand for that one. Okay. All right. Well, here's the, here's the point. When these, when these tensions rise, what, you can almost hear the argument in, this, in the letter. These women, Syntyche says, you know what, Lord, I'm trying, I'm trying to remain faithful to you and stay in the Lord, but every time I see that woman, she drives me bananas. I can't stand her. It's like she comes in the room and it's just this, ugh, I just need to get away from her. She drives me crazy. I just, she irritates me. So, so Lord, I, I, th I think... I think that the best thing for me to do is to just simply avoid her. We're going to avoid, we're going to agree to disagree. We're just going to let her do her thing, and then I'm going to be over here and do my thing, and uh, we're just going to avoid each other. And then you see each other at the grocery store, right? And you see these women at the grocery store, and they do that, what do they call aisle ditching, you know? They come down this row, I'll go over here, you know? So I'll go get my potatoes later. So it's, <laughs> the, the point is, it's true, all right? We all know this is real. So personality conflict and personal preferences oftentimes cause a drift. And we say things like, I think I know what I should do. I think, I think avoiding them is the best option. I'm going to have to have some help. So if some of you guys are sitting in the front row, be ready. Um, Scott, could you help me, man? I'm going to Scott. And then Scott, come on, double Scots. Uh, Scott and Scott, these guys are really good friends in life. As far as I know, they have no issues, all right? So this, this is going to help me illustrate something. Come on up on stage. Um, so here's what happens. Notice this. Whenever there is some sort of a, a disagreement in the church or someone in the church that you're friends with at one point, maybe you've done life with for a long time, a disagreement might happen. And when those things happen, if you're not careful, this, it will cause this unresolved conflict. It, it, the disagreement kind of leads you to where you're saying, I would rather avoid this person than deal with this person. You ever been there? 
Okay, okay, we all have. So when that happens, that is your key indication that I need to get something resolved. If I'm choosing to avoid them rather than trying to deal with the issue, there's some, it's going to lead me to division. And that's what causes a lot of church problems. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't let division in the church resolve conflict. If you're going to stand firm in the Lord, you got to do this. So, Scott. All right, Scott and Scott. Let me get in the middle. All right, so let's just say um, these guys have different preferences, different opinions about different things. So Scott prefers to come to the, the first worship service uh, because um, he, he likes to give God my first fruits. I'm just making this stuff up. Um, obviously, he doesn't because he's one here. No, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. So some people, like, some people think this way, right? They'll say things like that, and they'll be crazy, and then this, and Scott will say, you know, I'd rather give God my second service, come to second service so I can focus more and be more engaged, and then I can be in a ministry in the first worship. Neither one of these guys are right or wrong. It's just a preference. It's a preference of opinion, really. Or Scott says, I'd rather my kids grow up going to public school. And, and Scott says, no, I'd rather my kids go to private school. And, and that's just what I think is the best thing. That's fine. Each of them has their own opinions. That's okay. They don't have to agree about everything. Scott's a little weird and he's normal. I don't know. You know it doesn't matter. But here's the point. When you choose to disagree and avoid each other, so go over here and you go over here, what happens is it's a key indication that they've drifted from the Lord. They're no longer standing firm in the full measure of Jesus' love. And now, what once they used to love each other, be good friends at some point, now there's this division. And what happens is if we're not careful, this division will happen in the church as a whole. So Paul's saying, get this and get it right. You need to agree in the Lord. Get in this box. All right, listen. You need to get... And, and notice in verse 3, go to the text. In verse 3, he, Paul actually, he actually enlists this other person. He says, hey, you true fellow laborer. You know, um, compa- what does he say? I forget the word he uses. Um, he says, uh, true companion. He's talking to somebody in particular. He says, hey, you, you true companion. You know that there's, there's issues between these two women. You got to help them. So you say, I don't have, maybe some of you in this room, I say, I don't really have any conflict that I need to resolve. Um, between anybody in the church, or um, I just don't have that. Well, if you know of some people in the church that, that are at disagreements, then you can't sit idle. You've got to go do something to get these people to agree in the Lord. Help them, serve them, encourage them to get back in the Lord. Because if they're avoiding each other, they're not here. That's what he's saying. And so what happened, and by the way, if you're out there somewhere, you're missing out on the full measure of God's love for you. And so, now Scott, I love you. I don't want to think it's smart that you'd be out here drifting for yourself. You need to stop avoiding him. Get back in the Lord. Come on now. Get, in the, get in back in the Lord. That's it. All right. So this is a beautiful picture. This is good. All right. I, I did it on purpose. Anyway, so, so my, here's the beauty of it all. This is what I want you to see and I want you to, I want you to connect with. Um, just be, every one of us in this room have an obligation to, to resolve conflict. You don't have the option to not resolve conflict. But here's the cool thing. When you guys agree in the Lord individually, your relationship with the Lord is going to grow stronger and you're going to experience a supernatural abounding love that you're going to be able to pour out and extend to one another. But if you don't have love for your brother, instead you choose to avoid your brother, that is the indication that you have drifted from your first love. Come back. Come back. It's not too late to come back. It's never too late to come back. So you say, well, God's not going to show me mercy. He's not going to show me grace. I've done too many bad things. It's no, he's not going to do it. He will. He wants you 
So in this box, in the full measure of God's love, you're going to experience the love of God. All right, you guys have a seat. Thank you so much, guys. Give them a round of applause. I appreciate their kindness. All right, so going back into the text, I, what is so neat to me is I want to show you, obviously this doesn't, we don't do this in real life. We're not going to stand in a box in real life. But how do you resolve conflict with someone who you really have an issue with? Um, by the way, ask yourself this. I'll do it. I want to repeat this because I think it's important. Is there anybody in the church that you have a conflict with that needs to be resolved? Are you avoiding anybody in the church? Well, not at Harvest Bible Chapel. I'm not avoiding anybody. It doesn't matter. Are you avoiding a fellow believer in Christ? Would you rather avoid them than resolve the conflict? If that's the case, you need to understand you are drifting from the Lord. Well, I don't feel like it. You are you're missing out on the full measure of God's love for you. That's the point. So here, come back to the text, and he says this. It really, the, really, the, the end of cha- uh, verse number three says, whose names are in the book of life. Look, this is the, let's get perspective here, right? Scott's going to heaven. I know he's a believer, solid believer. Scott's going to heaven, solid believer. They just need to deal with it, okay? They're not gonna have the same personalities. They're, not, they're gonna be different, different people, but they have to agree in the Lord for their own joy's sake. Does that make sense? All right, so keep, keep going. Um, I want to show you three ways to resolve conflict in a real-life situation. If there are conflict issues that you need to resolve, I'm going to give you three practical biblical ways to resolve. First, you need to go quickly. If there is some relational tension, you need to go quickly. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 makes a powerful, very, very powerful. Jesus is speaking and he says this to the, to the disciples. He said, so if you, offer, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you're coming to service and you're worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning, hands lifted high, you're worshiping God, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Stop worshiping at that moment and go resolve the conflict. That's what he's saying. Verse number four, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you hear Jesus' urgency in this verse? He's saying it's nothing to mess. I would rather you stop worshiping me because you're not doing it with a pure heart and go resolve the issue with your brother and then come back to me and worship me. Because when that happens, then you're going to be an open conduit. I'm going to flood your heart with so much love and so much joy that it'll be hard for you to contain. You'll be weeping like a mess. Well, I'm not emotional. You'll see. Just trust me when I say God will wreck you and flood your heart with so much grace and love when this is right. And then you'll be able to extend this love for other people. So I wanted you to go back to Philippians chapter 4. Um, I'll show you this as well. The second thing that, second way to resolve conflict is you've got to go quietly. Go quietly. That means, in other words, as a staff, we have this staff code that we, we really practice regularly. If there's ever any issues in our staff, this is, what we all, this is how we resolve it, just so you know. We don't talk about the person. We talk directly to the person. It's the same thing that I want to show you this morning. In, in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Uh, Jesus goes out of his way and says the same thing. Hey, look, if there's an issue between you and your brother, um, go to him alone. Don't talk about the person behind closed doors and start bashing them and saying all kinds of things about the person. If you're doing that, understand, indication again, you've drifted. 
So what is the conversation like about the person that you are at odds with? Uplifting or slamming them? That would be an indication that you need to get this right. Resolve the conflict. Don't talk about the person. Talk to the person. And the third thing I want to show you is this, the way to resolve conflict, is to go humbly. In Philippians chapter 2, um, Paul addressed this very same thing, kind of unpacking for us this gospel narrative. In verse number 3, he says, go, or, so Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others to be more significant than yourselves. In other words, Scott, you're more significant than me because your name is in the book of life. And I'm not a, a, high shot, a big shot here. You're, God loves you the same amount he loves me. We've got to deal with this. Same thing, Scott. It's, it's understanding. Does that make sense to you guys? Resolving conflict is a matter of going quickly. Time is rarely a, a blessing in this issue. Go, go quietly and go humbly. Those are just some practical ways to resolve conflict. Paul continues in his letter about standing firm. How do we stand firm in this life? The second thing I want you to notice here in verses four and five, he tells us to rejoice always. If we're gonna stand firm in the Lord, we need to resolve conflict, but we also need to rejoice always. All right, let's, let's look at this. Verse number four, he says, rejoice in the Lord. What's the word? Always. And again, I say Rejoice. Oh, come on, man. How, how do you do that? I mean, rejoicing always. Surely he doesn't mean always be joyful about all circumstances that happen in life. Actually, that's exactly what he's saying as he writes this letter from prison when he's getting, facing death and a death penalty. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying that you can have a joy. You should have a joy as a believer that transcends your current circumstance. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that you might feel emotions of discouragement. Those are real emotions. What Paul is pointing out is, don't let your emotions override the facts. You belong to God. That's what he's saying. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to remind you of this gospel joy. The whole uh, study right now, we're going through Philippians, and the whole theme is gospel joy. I want to share with you this definition again. Gospel joy, what is it? It means it's an enduring, non-circumstantial delight in the good news message that Jesus, by his grace, takes up, takes us from hopelessly dead in our sins to abundantly and eternally alive in him. That is incredible good news. That's going back to when we first encountered this, this grace, this love, this that Jesus wants me. He desires to have a relationship with, with me. Why, why would he want that? I am a mess. You know, it's like, why does he want this? Why does he want me? It's being under such wow and awe of that. That's what the gospel joy is. And when you're in that and you're experiencing this incredible, fresh, new love, it's going to produce this joy in your heart that will override circumstance. Now, let me show you this. How, how do I know? How do you really know if you're rejoicing in the Lord always? I mean, what are some evidences of that? Well, the first thing he mentions in verse number five, he continues, he says, let your reasonableness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, when you are rejoicing in the Lord always, other people around you are going to clearly notice that there's something different about you. There's some unusual joy. There's something that's noticeable to other people. And he uses the word reasonableness. The word reasonableness is an, is an outward manifestation. Basically, it, it's, it's a gentle spirit. 
or a pleasant spirit, a pleasantness about you. That's what the Greek word actually means. When Paul penned this in the original language, he literally said, let your pleasant spirit be noticeable to everybody around you as an indication that you are in the Lord. That's what he's saying. So let me ask you this question. Does that accurately describe you right now? Do you, or can people say that you're a pleasant person to be around? Or do you tend to be more, I don't know, aggravated by things? You have a pattern of annoyance. Man, this person annoys me. Ah, I can't stand it. All the issues at work. There's always these problems and this frustration. And I, I, every time I, I just think that they should do it this way. And it, okay, that's aggravation. That's not, that's not that gentle, pleasant spirit. Indication that you have drifted from the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord always manifests itself with a pleasant pleasantness or a gentle spirit. And I love how he goes on. He doesn't leave any room for doubt here. He clarifies it yet again. And continuing in verse five, he says, um, let your gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. How? Because you know that the Lord is at hand. It's a figurative expression meant to pull out or conjure up an emotional response. He's saying, understand that the Lord's hand is literally, figuratively, figuratively, holding your hand through your situation. While you're in prison, Paul, Jesus, God, is in the cell holding your hand with you. Now, what does that translate for us? When I hold my little girl's hand, who's three years old, she, you could just instantly see this pleasant smile come over her face. As we walk in the mall together or wherever we're going, I'm holding her hand. She's singing, she's smiling, she's happy-go-lucky, and she's just pleasant. Every, I mean, you can see she's pleasant. Why? Because she's reassured that I'm with her, that I'm gonna protect her as her father. I'm, better yet, I'm guiding her wherever we're going. So whatever situation, you're in right now, whatever trial or circumstance, regardless of the issue, know that God is holding. He's literally, I'm going to say, literally holding your hand in a spiritual way through your circumstance. He's with you. And that will translate into a pleasant smile, a pleasantness about you so that everybody else around you who knows your circumstance will say, there's something about that guy, something about that girl that is unique and what, those, what you have the opportunity then to say is, no, what's unique is that I'm in the Lord. What you're seeing is a supernatural joy. So let me show you this. The first um, thing that we talked about resolving conflict, the fruit that you'll see as a result of resolving fo- conflict, your relationship with the Lord is growing and deepening and, and it causes you to have, when people have issues with you, you're able to respond with, what's it say, church? Love. A supernatural love. Supernatural love. And by the way, as, as you are you know, rejoicing in the Lord by you're staying, staying faithful to him and being in this, in this relationship, what happens, the next thing that happens is you're gonna experience a supernatural joy. It's as simple as that. It, these are the things that are gonna be the byproducts, evidence, or key indicators that I am in the Lord. Are these being, can these be said about you right now? If not, You've drifted. That's what Paul's saying. Don't drift. If you've drift, come back. Come back to this. It's just always, it's so getting, getting a little bit further into it, I want to show you the third thing that we see here. 
Um, he tells us to pray with thanksgiving. According to verses 6 and 7, he tells us that, um, well, let's read it. Verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about what, church? Anything. Anything. Come on. Are you serious? Anxious about there's some issues going on. I'm going to lose my job here. Or I don't know how to deal with my kids. Or I've been single for a long time, and I feel like I should just be in a relationship by now. Or whatever the issue is, don't be anxious about anything, Paul says. But instead, in everything, in every season, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, key phrase, let your request be made known to God. Wow, okay, so let's talk about that. Um, Paul, is, Paul continues to, to instruct us, you know, because you, the Lord is at hand, because God is holding your hand in your situation, you're not gonna need to be anxious about it because you know he's gonna protect you. He's going to guide you in your situation, in your struggle. And, but the question still remains, what do I do when I'm facing um, a dark, ominous cloud that I can see coming, getting ready to overcome my life and I don't know how to resolve the issue. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I'm, I mean, I'm two months without a job. The bills are starting to stack up. If this continues, I'm gonna not be able to pay my, my mortgage. My kids are not gonna be able to have food, and I'll, I'm gonna be homeless under a bridge holding a sign saying, feed me. Okay, ever been there? Your mind just goes bananas like that? Okay, come on, don't leave me hanging. All right, so here's what happens. That's, that. you know what? What causes those thoughts, okay, I almost flipped there. All right. What causes this, us to think this way is because we don't believe that God's got us. So I think I need to step out here, Lord. I know what you said. I know you said that I could trust in you and all things and, I, you know, trust the Lord with all your understanding and lean out on my own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. I got that, but you're not going to pay my bills, God. So I need to do something about this. Okay, when we make that choice, we're beginning to drift. And we're going to continue to drift. And that's what Paul is addressing here. He says, do not. Don't allow your anxiety or your worry or your stress to cause you to get out from underneath or to, better yet, to leave the full measure that God has for you. Don't leave this relationship. Stay right here. God is doing it on purpose and he's doing it to strengthen your faith in him. So let me show you this. Paul says, when those bills are mounting up, what do you do? Pray. Simple. Pray. That's what he tells us to do. Now, I want you to listen to this, church. This, is, this helped me a lot. You and I must pray not because we know God can help me, but because I know that God will help me. That's why we should pray. Pray because I know God will help me, not because I know God can help me. And by the way, he tells us to pray very specifically, doesn't he? What does he say? Go back. Pray with what? Thanksgiving. Now, what does Thanksgiving have to do with it? Well, here's, here's the reality. Thankfulness and anxiety cannot dwell or occupy the same space at the same time. You could say it like this. As light is to darkness, Thanksgiving or thankfulness is to anxiety. I want you to think about that. As light is to darkness, thankfulness is to anxiety. They can't occupy the same space in your heart. So that being said, when you pray, pray with an attitude or a perspective of thankfulness. 
Thankful for what? He hasn't done anything yet. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's start off by doing this. Thanking God for what he has done somehow informs my heart of what he will do. Isn't that true? When I, when I think about the things that he's done in the past for my life, it's like this light that begins to shine in this dark, ominous cloud. Wait a minute. God, God did it in the past. He's going to do it again. And now I get to see another miracle. It was a crazy miracle last time. That means it's going to be epic this time. Right? You know what I'm saying? So don't sweat. When you're in this box, you're going to be okay. All right? But sweat it when we drift. Anxiety never helps anybody, does it? It just adds all sorts of problems to our lives, no matter the circumstance. And I want to share this, this quote. I, I read this article about a book. This guy wrote a book. His name is um, Dr. Dan Baker. Um, and uh, he was a, he's, a, he's a very popular secular psychologist. And he wrote a book entitled, it's just the title caught me. He says, um, what happy people know, how the new science of happiness can change your life for better. Key emphasis on new science. This is just great. You gotta listen to this. All right, secular psychologist finally realized, he said this, fear and gratitude cannot exist in the brain simultaneously. During active appreciation, the threatening messages from your amygdala, the fear center of your brain, and the anxious instincts of your brainstem are cut off and suddenly, and sure, they're cut off suddenly and surely from access to your brain's neocortex where they can fester and replicate themselves and even turn your, st- your stream of thoughts into a cold river of dread. Isn't that true? Like you start freaking out. You're like, oh, no, we're going to be homeless under a bridge. All right. Okay. He says this. It is a fact. I love this part. It is a fact of neurology that the brain cannot be in a state of appreciation or thankfulness and a state of fear at the same time. The two states may alternate, but they are truly mutually exclusive. Now, wait, now, wait, wait, wait. This is the new science of happiness. New science. Actually, Mr. Dan, um, that's been around for thousands of years. And it's not something that is new. Actually, it's something that Paul wrote while he was in prison. All right? So, and the key to it all, the key to this is being thankful because we know God's going to show up. God's going to help us. He's not going to leave us. All right, so let's continue. Um, Praying with thankfulness. So it's a cool thing. I want to show you how what happens, the result or the byproduct, the fruit, if you will. What happens when we remain standing in the Lord, in our relationship with the Lord, we trust in him. We're going to experience, we talked about this love, this joy. Now you see this peace, all right? In Philippians 4, uh, verse 7, and the peace. Whenever we pray with thankfulness and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Love that. Like that's the, that's the, the, the answer. That's what's going to happen as a result of us praying with thankfulness. So for some of you, what that means is you're going to have to go home tonight or today and you're going to need to sit down in your living room and get out a pad of paper because you're going through anxiety. You, 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 honestly, you know you've kind of drifted a little bit and you felt like you know, this wasn't working. God wasn't going to really answer you the way you thought or expected him to answer. So you've drifted a little bit. And what you need to do is go home and get out a little, get little you know, piece of paper and begin to write down systematically the things that you're thankful for God for, that you've seen God do in the past. 
And what happens is as you're writing this list, you're gonna, I want you to start praying out loud on your knees the things that you wrote down. And you'll see that that anxiety will flee from your heart because perfect love casts out fear. You are gonna be, you're gonna be right back here. You get right back in the full measure of God's love for you and that anxiety goes away. It dissipates. That's what Paul's saying. If you're going through a season where you're feeling like a little anxious, stay back here. And if you are anxious, that's an indication you've drifted. So let's go back to our, our illustration here. So when I am um, resolving conflict, I'm going to actually have, come on, church. And then the, when I am uh, rejoicing always, what's going to happen is, yeah, the last thing, and I want you to see this, is when we're praying with thanksgiving, yeah, peace. We'll come back to that in a minute. But these are the natural fruits of your life. Now, are those things indicated in your life? Can you see these things happening in your life right now? Are they there? All right, the last thing um, I want to show you, Paul mentions one last piece here that is critical to the whole passage. Um, and he talks about this. If we're going to stand firm, by far, what every one of these other things had in common is there was a drift of the mind. You've allowed your mind to drift. You thought you could resolve this this way. You could avoid the person. You thought there would be greater joy if you did it this way. You, you thought that you could have, uh, you resolve your issue by worry and anxiety and trying to come up with your own masterful plan. None of those things got what you wanted, but it all is a matter of the mind. So Paul goes out of his way and he says, what we need to do, the last piece of this whole thing, if we're gonna stand firm in the Lord, we need to protect our minds, protect our thoughts. So if you're taking notes, that's the point I want you to see. In verse 8 and verse 9, he explains this very clearly. The urgency here is very real. He says, finally, brothers, all right, if we're going to protect this love, joy, and peace and this, this, this relationship standing firm in the Lord, we've got to get this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. This is a very intentional discipline. You've got to protect your minds, is what he's saying. This is not new to us because in other places of Scripture, Paul goes out of his way to explain. You've got to renew your mind daily. You've got to set your mind on things above, not on the things of the world. He goes out of his way to repeat this phrase over and over again because of the urgency of it. You have to protect your mind. And it's like boxing. That's the best way I can explain it to you. Boxing, they say that the best offense in boxing is oftentimes the, the strongest defense. The strongest defense, the defensive posture in a boxing match is when your gloves are protecting your head. Because if you can hit someone in the chin enough times, it's going to knock them out. Their mind gets crazy and distorted and they fall. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. We have to protect our minds and we've got to do it this way. We have to be proactively thinking about things that are good, things that are just. Go through the list. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and anything worthy of praise, anything that's excellent. So what in the world? What, what could we possibly think of that really encompasses all of those eight virtues? Really, it comes down to just um, uh, this idea of um, the word of God is the antidote for all eight virtues. If you want to know how you can think about things that are like this, get in the word of God. 
That's one of the best places that you're, you're going to find all eight virtues. Another thing you could be doing actively is be worshiping God regularly. So how much time are we spending in the word? Better yet, I mean, when I say spend time, I'm talking about unhurried time with the Lord. Getting God's word from the pages to my mind. And what happens when it gets in my mind, it sinks to my heart. And I want to start doing what the word of God says. And, and, and so the word of God and worship are the two things that will help me. All eight of these things that are here listed in this passage are really found in the word of God and worshiping of God. But what about the, black, the, the, the not black and white issues of life, right? What about the gray issues, like the entertainment that we watch on TV or the music we listen to in the car? Is there like a list that I should follow with that? Actually, it just comes down to this. What's going to help me and encourage me to love God more? All right? The gray areas of life, uh, the entertainment I choose to watch. Is this going to help me? Is this going to encourage me to love God more? The second thing is, is this going to encourage me to love others more? That's it. That will help you tremendously when you're thinking about what I should be watching and what I should be thinking about and entertaining myself with, the books I read, um, the things I do, the places I go. Are they going to enhance or encourage thoughts that are focused toward God and others in a way that will provoke love? Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not easy. I mean, I, I'm the worst at this part. You know, I'll, I'd rather, ask my wife this, I would rather sit at home and watch Blue Buds. I don't know if you guys know what that is, with Tom Selleck, the big mustache. All right, Blue Bloods. I, I don't know. I like to watch, I still veg out. How many of y'all veg out with me? Anybody veg out normally? Okay, veg out, watch Netflix or something. All right, so here's the issue. The best gauge you could have when it comes to what should I watch and what should I entertain myself with, let's go to this passage. Is this gonna help me? Or is it better for me to have a conversation with my wife right now about finances. Okay, so, all right, whatever that, whatever, that, whatever that might be. So the point is, we have to guard our minds, guard them. This is a proactive posture of protecting our minds. Now, the beautiful thing is, when we do protect our minds, um, and we don't allow ourselves to drift in either direction, we stay put in the Lord, these fruits that we talked about, this, this love, this joy and this peace, they're going to be obvious to everyone around us, right? People are going to see these things. These, these attributes are going to become manifest in the way we live. And you know what's so interesting about these things? Let me step out of this for just a second. This love, this supernatural love, this was in the relationship with the Lord, right? This is when, when the gospel was first told you. They told you about this supernatural love that God has for you. They told you about the supernatural joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ, right? That was in, that's in here. And the other thing is this, this surpassing peace that only can be explained by supernatural help. That's in a relationship with God. That's all there, only found in Jesus Christ. The problem is, if we drift from this because we think we know better, that means other people that we see on a daily basis will never see these fruits, it is so important that we stand firm and we don't drift, but we let these things be known because the, the truth of the matter is when we stand firm in the Lord, the gospel stands out to the world. Does that make sense? It is so important when you stand firm in the Lord, like Paul is telling us, these things that attract people to the gospel, the very same things that attracted you and I to the gospel can be seen more clearly to the world. They stand out. Let that resonate in your heart and ask yourself that whether or not 
Is there a conflict that you need to be resolved? Is there some sort, have you found, are you seeking joy in, in finances or family or finding joy in other things than what is found in, in this relationship with the Lord? Are you trying to find your own peace and thinking that you can figure out your own plan and do things a little bit different God, than God's way and there's this anxiety flooding your heart? Or better yet, have you just dropped your guard and you're just thinking, you're letting everything just come in your way, you're not really protecting your mind or guarding your thoughts? If so, you're missing out on the greatest abundant life that God has dreamed up for you. Let's get back to standing firm in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for this word that Paul wrote thousands of years ago and how real and relevant it is for us today. God, we desperately need Jesus. God, I pray for the people in here who might have drifted from you in the past. Will you please allow your spirit to speak so carefully to their hearts and let them know and remind them that you still want them. You've got great plans for them, God. I pray that you would call them back to this intimate, deep, overwhelming relationship with you. And I pray for the person sitting in this room right now as well who may not know you yet. Oh, but God, because of the things that they've heard us talk about this morning, I pray that you would wow their hearts, draw them to you, God, in a way that only you can through the Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name.